Well, please grab your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, if you didn't bring your Bible today, there's some there uh, in front of some of the seats. Please grab one. Uh, I believe it's so important to have a Bible open on your lap as you look at the text. I think it's page 983 or 984 in the Bible in the in the holder there. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2. We're in verses uh, 8 through 15. And when you get there, uh, one, one more time, I'll say that's all one sentence in the original language. One more giant sentence of text that we have. Chapter 2, uh, just kind of behind the curtain and a little bit of honesty here. Chapter 2 has been a surprise for me in a delightful way. I've been so looking forward to going through Colossians chapter 1, and I'm so excited about getting to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 2 sometimes is one of those texts where it's just like, okay, we're going to make our way through it, but get to the exciting stuff. Um, I will tell you, chapter 2 has just been one of the coolest things uh, that I've come to see out of this text. And I would summarize it this way. Colossians chapter 2 is saying this. Listen, followers of Christ, you need to be thinkers. Followers of Christ, you need to think. Be very much so that way. And just straight up with you on the table, I think a lot of times in, in our world, in our culture, Christians aren't the greatest of thinkers. Christians oftentimes uh, will not enter into discussions on various topics. Christians can come across as the very mad about it people. And uh, I don't think that has to be the way. Uh, we have the opportunity and we are called to be thinkers and we're going to see in this and the, today's text especially is going to drive us towards where the center of our thinking is as we engage in the various thinking that's going around us here. So are you there, Colossians chapter 2? You there? All right. Let's do a little bit of reading. Let's kind of get a running start on our text. Let's actually pick up the last verse of chapter 1. And then uh, we'll come up through verse 7. We'll pause there. End of chapter 1, verse 29, it says this. Paul says, for, I, for this I toil, struggling with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know, Colossians, uh, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of Christ, of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's what we talked about last Sunday. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's hold there. Last Sunday. Last Sunday, uh, the slide up on the screen summarizes the things out of that text that we were going and we're kind of doing this thing and through chapter two where we're pulling these pieces of information and we're putting them on the table just to be thinking about. And, and these were things that the text lays out in there that, that, that these are the types of things that prevent us from being hoodwinked. Prevent us being hoodwinked last week by plausible arguments. And, and these kinds of people with these kinds of traits are, are people that are hard to hoodwink. And notice in it, uh, all of these had the same common thing of in Christ, in Christ. Uh, that's so much of where we're continuing on going at today. You'll see it centers there. The last Sunday we had in uh, verse 7, this imperative verse, yeah, ver end of verse 7, this imperative, uh, present active imperative verb in the Greek it's called. And, and it means this, it's so you must be walking. Uh, by the way, it's so you must, that's the imperative, that's the command part, so you must be presently, actively, and continuously walking. It's like, man, don't I ever get a rest? No. <laughs> no. That's what Paul is saying. Always, always, always. Walking how? Walking where? Walking what? Well, the text tells us we talked about last week. Walking in him. Walking in Christ. So what are we supposed to be doing presently, actively, and continuously? What? Okay, got the picture? Walking. Now, what does it look like to be walking in Christ? 
Well, uh, the end of, or actually in verse 8, to the end of verse 7 and 8, it gave us four pictures of that. We talked a little bit. And I, I went through and I brought back the, the image of Mark chapter 4 and the good soil. Remember, if you were here, and the good soil talks about how we are the dirt. Uh, the person who receives the word is the soil. And the seed, Christ, drops and the soil receives that. And that in that, what starts happening, the soil is all about putting itself into the seed. All the my nutrients, all of my moisture, all that comes. That's the walking part. Walking, 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 putting everything in Christ. And what starts happening, that seed, it starts, and then those roots start spreading out. Roots grow slowly. They don't grow fast. They take time. And also, as those roots grow, they start digging into every little nook and cranny of the soil of the person. And they get bigger and bigger. And the soil is always about putting itself into that. And when that begins, happens. That's what verse 8 talks about, rooted. And then the next word it talks about, uh, built up. It's this architectural idea. It's, it's something starts building up out of that. Something happens from that. It's just not all underground. Something shoots up like a building and shows itself. And it's shooting there. And then the next word talks about how it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's strengthened in him is the concept behind it. And we're not not looking at some little puny little like you know plant that you're like just grab it and pluck it out no 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 right no <laughs> want to make thank you no I want to make sure you're with me this is like no no none of that it's like growing up it's strength and it's like no and then it's like a big tree and there's fruit on it it's like ah! okay getting into this last week I made mention that in all of this, the dirt ends up going, can you believe this? That's growing out of me. And that's the last term, thanksgiving. Presently, actively, continuously, you must be walking in him, rooted, built up, strengthened with thanksgiving. And as I made mention, you, you, you just, when you see a gorgeous tree, an oak tree or a beautiful blue spruce, it's just like mature and just like strong. You don't ever go and go, look at that dirt. That's awesome. What's with that? You go, look at that tree. That is awesome. With Thanksgiving. That's what's supposed to be happening. But, but Doug, can, can, can you help me more with that? Okay, so we're presently actively continuously walking in him. But what does that look like? I'm glad you asked because Paul starts helping us see more of this. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, let's work this out. Paul just says, you must be presently, actively, continuously doing what? Walking. And a proper thing is like, help me out with that. What more does that look like? Well, Paul starts out with one of those. He says, he gives this loving warning about our walking with Christ. It's a loving warning. And in it, the first word we see is it says, see to it. It's, it's be watching out. Uh, by the way, this is also a present active imperative. Paul all of a sudden shifts here at verse 6 and 7 to all of a sudden we're going to be seeing these command-oriented kinds of verbs, these, these continuals, continuously doing all the way through chapter 3. What is Paul doing? Paul is off of the hinge of verses 6 and 7. Paul is telling what walking in Christ looks like for here on out for the next couple months. And the first thing he lists here is walk watching out. And that is a, you must be walking, and you must be walking presently, active, continuously, and you must, while you're walking presently, actively, and continuously, you must be watching prop, uh, presently, actively, and continuously. It's like this. While you're, watch, while you're walking, what are you doing? Watching out. Watch out. And you can do both. 
Really, you can. Because God does not tell us that, to, that we are to do something that we're not able to do it in his strength, okay? So you can walk in him, not run, but walk. And you can be looking around, all right? Now, looking around, think about it. When I'm looking around, what am I doing right now? I'm looking around means I'm thinking. I'm thinking with what's happening around me. What's going on right now? Uh, Looking around, looking about thinking. Looking and thinking about what? Well, the text tells us. Looking and thinking about not being taken captive. So, So that means as I am presently, actively, and continuously walking in Christ, I need to be looking around because guess what? Someone's on the prey for me. No, I've got uh, the picture from the hoodwinked movie up here and, and showing, illustrating this don't be hoodwinked uh, deal. But I was going to actually uh, pull a wolf, a, a real picture of a wolf up and put it on. Maybe I will next week. We'll see. Put it up and I had this one picture. It was so cool. It was like right at a wolf's eyes. And he's like looking. And it's, you just see right in his eyes. And you also see that mouth. And you're like... That is so awesome, but I do not want to go pet that. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. This word for captive, it means that you don't be made prey of. It has this idea of of with war that you don't be carried off as spoil for war. Can you see a wolf after the hunt? And he's got what? His prey in his mouth just hanging down and it's dead. And he's walking away like God. And Paul says, you don't want to be that prey. You don't want to be that prey. You don't want to be that spoil of war taken by that. You don't want to be hijacked. You don't want to be kidnapped. Hijacked, kidnapped by what? Look at the text. By philosophy and empty deceit. Now, we read this the way it's worded out right there. It has the potential to come across as two things. I really don't think the text is saying two things. I think maybe a better way actually to word this around would be through empty deceptive philosophy. The key word here that's being used, the center of this is the word philosophy. What does the word mean? Well, philo and sophia, it means to love wisdom. I'm all about loving wisdom. Man, I need more wisdom. You too? Yeah, I mean, we are to be the kind of people that love after seeking out wisdom. Man, pursue wisdom. We're to be that. So it's to love wisdom. Now, understand this. A philosophy in our day is thought of more as like a course. It's thought of more as, as, as an academic pursuit. But in Paul's day, it was such a broad used word. It had everything to do with, uh, any philosophy had to do with just thinking about life, thinking about love, thinking about the world, thinking about the Lord, anything it had to do. It was the love of wisdom for anything is very broad. It's not just a class. And here it's talking about, uh, be careful. Uh, why? Why with philosophy? Why should we be careful? Um, because it says uh, empty philosophy. Empty, it means rudimentary. It means devoid of anything. It means hollow. Easter's not too far away. And truly one of the most irritating things about Easter are hollow chocolate bunnies. They should be so removed from the shelves. They should just, they're, they're just like everything bad about Easter, everything bad about bunnies is in a hollow. I mean, it needs to be a solid dove chocolate bunny. Do I have a word? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nothing's more irritating than getting a hollow bunny that's not even chocolate. It's like wax. It's like, what's the deal with this? True? It is so true. <laughs> Parents, I hope your kids don't hear this because for Easter, that's what they're getting, huh? But, but know this, that's the idea. It's empty. It like looks so good. It presents itself so well. It looks and it, it smells and it, and it sounds so good. But it's hollow. What's the deal with that? It's hollow. 
It's hollow philosophy. The other word used here is deceptive. It's deceit. It's, it means it's fraudulent. It's not what it appears to be. Uh, here's a modern day word for it. It's punked philosophy. You've been punked by the philosophy. That's what it's talking about. You thought it was something and it turns out you've been punked. And so, no, hear me. Please hear me on this very, very clearly. This text is not saying do not engage in the conversation of philosophies. Friends, there are far too many Christians that are not willing to talk about any kind of philosophies, that are not willing to think about it, that come across so mad and just straight up arrogant as all get out. And we're losing the opportunity, as we'll be talking about here, to help people think. Talk philosophies with people. But know this. There are empty, deceptive philosophies, and you got to watch out. You've got to be very careful with them. Systems of thought that are hollow chocolate bunnies that will end up turning you and frauding you. And you can get caught in its mouth and carried away as spoil. Watch out. Cubic zirconia truth may look real, but it's not. Hollow chocolate bunny worldviews, they're empty and hollow. So the question comes up is, is why? I mean, what are these then? Great question. The text tells us. That's what I love about Scripture. Three statements are made here in verse 8 about according to. It says, see that? According to, according to, according to. I've got those underlined in my Bible. Let's go through them. Three things. Uh, What makes these hollow bunny, cubic zirconia, you've been punk philosophies? Well, number one, they're the product of man. The text says that they're according to human tradition, human tradition, Uh, that carries the idea of not just something like, you know, at Christmas we do this tradition. It's not necessarily hitting on that. It's something that's been carried down, but it gets the idea it's it's, it's been human or originized. It's been human sourced by man. That's where that system comes from. It comes from essentially that of human thought and that of human ideology and that of human worldview and that of human speculation. Well, Doug, what's wrong with that? That's a very good question. I love questions. I'll add this. The reason there's a problem with human thought is because of what we talked about three weeks ago. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 and we talked about total depravity you know there's something about us that we love to pat ourselves on the back for how awesome we are but when we talked about that it was this if if you don't understand the, the, the grandness of our sin the total depravity of you and I before God if you and I do not understand that and the word in there the theological term is the noetic effect of sin I think of it it's like a noose <laughs> you know that's the reality and even when you come to Christ there still is an effect of sin the, the fact of the matter while well, we've conquered over the power of sin we'll see later the reality is sin still has a curse We live in a sin-cursed world. We are bent towards sin. And to think that our thinking is so awesome is fraudulent and hollow. It's just plain arrogant. And if you're a man or if you're a woman or if you're a teen that just thinks your thinking is awesome, I lovingly call you today, step off the throne. Step off the throne. Because you and I have a sin problem and it impacts how we think and it impacts how we process. Well, Doug, that's what I just feel. But know this, even your feelings are depraved. And let's just be real about it. We can get so proud in our thinking. And that's why Paul says, you got to understand, philosophies, worldviews that are sourced from human tradition thought, Watch out. Watch out. Secondly, on top of that, is empty, deceitful philosophies. Uh, The text tells us our product of the world. It says, according to the elementaries of the world. 
I need to note this, and there will be later. There's some very rare terms given in Colossians 2 in this, in this sentence, verses 8 through 15. And, and so I want to be careful with these. I don't want to go into uh, nailing up all and bringing out all of the commentary views on this whole thing. Because those are so specific that there's a bigger picture we're going to stay on here. So what does this term mean? Well, I think we can get an idea of a sense of concept in it. The word that's used, it, it refers to the elementaries of, the, the fundamentals of something. And back in biblical days, in Paul's day, uh, in texts outside of the scripture, the Greek word was used for things to talk about the elementals of language. We would call it the ABCs. The word was used to talk about the elementals or the fundamentals of math. And there's some uh, texts that are referred to that, that talk specifically about the fundamentals of geometry. So it gets the elementaries idea. Uh, here there's different thoughts on this. Is this referring to the fundamentals of air, earth, and fire? Is it fundamentals of the study of physics and science or, and, and literature and art or even Old Testament law? Or is this talking about the fundamentals of the spiritual forces of the world? That's why I have the English Standard Version, and it has the spiritual forces in there. Uh, that's actually not in the original. It's trying to give a sense of where it's going. I'm not going to deal any more further with that. I'll just say this. The point is this. There's an elementary reality of where these things are sourced from. And if it's from man, and if it's from the world, watch out. By the way, the text does not say go bury your head in the sand. The text does not say go out there and chew everybody out who is thinking wrong. The text says to you and I as followers of Christ, just this. Watch out. Just be careful. Watch out. So things sourced in man, sourced of the world, watch out. Third, this brings it all together. The third according to. It says, and not according to whom? Christ. If we didn't get the other two, do get this one. If there are things that are not according to Christ, watch out. Be on the look. Uh, they're empty, deceitful, philosophical systems and systems of thought and worldviews that, that, that they're, I put it this way, they're not hard after Christ. Or here's another way of saying it. They're not the product of Christ. They're not the product of Christ. Just know that. Uh, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, I didn't put my name on that product. Like, that's not from my factory. I, um, for a lot of years, was in business and business with my brother. We manufactured and built and made in, uh, some medical devices and uh, putting names on it. I want to try and mean this in the right kind of a way, just as an illustration. Uh, our business had our last name on it. Uh, isn't that interesting how we do that? It's like, why? I don't know. Because it's our business. <laughs> and nothing's wrong with that. But it was kind of cool at times just to go and you're like, I cannot believe this. What started in our basement now is in a building and has a sign with our name. It was just kind of cool to be frank about it. It was one of those things that was kind of cool when we go to trade shows and they were talking with various ones of our staff at the trade shows and then they'd see my name and you just see this thing where they're like, oh, <laughs> you're a Helmer. It was, it was kind of cool. I don't mean that as arrogant. I just mean that's reality. The other is, is uh, I'd been involved in developing a, a product line, these plasma thars, and it was, we had been involved in developing some other products along the way, and um, we never really put our, quote, name on some of them, but this product line, I just decided for fun as a brother with my other brothers, there's Don Helmer, Dave Helmer, and Doug Helmer, and so this product line we had, we called them the DH4 and the DH8. Why did I do that? For fun. By the way, note this. The other reason that I did that was because we were convinced this was going to be a good product line. And I had done some other developments on other things, and they all ended up in the attic over the bathrooms that were never used. They never had DH on them because it was kind of like, I don't want my name on that. In fact, I don't want anyone to even know that I was working with that. It didn't work out too well. But this one, we were like, just for fun, let's put DH on it. 
And here Christ is in it. It's like, listen, what has my name on it? What has my name on it? What has my initials stamped on it? And, and let me just point you to one place where Jesus' name is stamped all over it. Right here. Right here. His name is stamped all over this thing. And that includes the fact that this is superior. High view of this, watch out on other stuff. High view of scripture, watch out on other things. Well, why should we have a high view of Christ in areas of philosophical thought systems? Well, look over at chapter 1, verse 15. Let me remind us, because he, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authority, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, he is the head of the body. I'm like, top that one. And then add to all that, uh, verse 27, to them God chose to make known great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glories of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Then down in middle of verse two, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. That, that's where it should all be centering. And, and I just, I'm just today, I'm asking this. This is my goal for today. My goal for today is to challenge you to take this week and think. And think. And I mean, just think real good and real hard. Because here's the thing, if Christ is sufficient and if Christ is supreme for creation, and for representing the Father, and for reconciliation, and for all knowledge and wisdom, and if Christ is the origin of it all, and the source of it all, and the point of it all, and over all of it, and holding it all together, why don't we hunker down there in him? That should be the center of things. In everything, you guys, in how you think about life, in how you think about God, in how you think about your work, in how you think about your spouse or your potential spouse, or how you think about your kids, how you think about others who don't know Christ, how you think about the news, how you think about the weather, how you think about all kinds of things, like everything. We are so quick to go other places. And Paul is like coming in and he's loving on us and giving us this warning. Watch out. Stay centered. Stay full centered on Jesus Christ. And if it devalues Christ or if it depowers Christ or if it in some way dethrones Christ or even if it de-supremes Christ, Watch out. Watch out. And by the way, that includes even if it supplements Christ because then it becomes addition or subtraction by addition. That's next week. Doug, let me just ask this question. Good, I love questions. So are you saying out with Aristotle and Tesla and Pasteur and Darwin and Freud and Rogers and Maslow and Dr. Phil and Plato and Confucius and Gandhi and Oprah and Nietzsche and Bill Nye and Hawkins and the list goes on and on. Are you saying that they add nothing to consider? I'm just asking this question and I think coming out of the text, is it according to man? Is it according to the world? Watch out. Or is it according to Christ? Is it hard after Christ? Or does it devalue him? Does it ignore him? 
Does it somehow rob him of his fullness? Does it take away or deny in any kind of way his deity or his humanity? Is it a Jesus supplement? And if their philosophical worldview system is not hard after Christ, I'm just asking, I'm just asking, why camp there? Watch out. I want for us to watch how Paul now addresses this because I'm going to kind of add an personal observation in. Paul right now could all of a sudden be going because in Colossae there were clearly some issues going on of philosophies floating around. And think about it. They didn't have the New Testament. I mean, what do they found themselves? And so there's people thinking and talking and out on the fire at night and interacting on these things. And, and Paul's talking about this. And where's he going to go? Is Paul going to go after all these things and tell them like, that's stupid and that's stupid and that's stupid? Or how, how is he going to approach all this thing? Or is he going to say, don't ever talk about anything, but only read scripture? <laughs> how is he going to address this? We'll see that in just a second. I want to bring this into the thinking. Observation. As I've been working with people over the last decades, Christians are so sensitive about this topic. I don't get it. Why? It's kind of like Christians are so fast to fight for other thought systems, and it's like, where's the fight for Christ? Where's the fight for God's word in all of this? How about they're first? I mean, they're supreme. Let's exhaust that out before we go there. Like, let's key in on that. And instead it's like, but, but are you saying you can't think about this? Or no, I'm just saying, let's lift this high. Like real high and real strong. But Doug, I don't know it very well. Then get in it. We have all of God's word here. Peter tells us that. I have given you everything you need for life and godliness in his word right here. That's what scripture says. So why don't we run there fast, parents, when we're trying to figure out how to raise our children? Why don't we run fast here, couples, when we're trying to figure out what marriage looks like? Why don't we run fast here when we're trying to understand the philosophy of where we came from, how things were created, what we're supposed to do with life, what my career should be, what my job is, how I should handle money, what car should I buy? Absolutely, why not here first? And I say all this because look at what Paul does. Paul doesn't argue all the systems. He does one thing. He lays it on the table, and then he tells about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Kind of like, that's way better. Hey, if you were given full rights as a child of the owner of St. Elmo's Steakhouse, I've never been there yet, but I've heard it's awesome. Why go to White Castle? I mean, if you are given the opportunity to eat every meal for free at almost St. Elmo's, every meal, why go to White Castle? Now, some of you are like, I love White Castle. <laughs> and my illustration is completely not helping you. But hey, listen, I understand visiting White Castle every so often and even having conversations about White Castle. I'm okay with that, and I think Paul's okay with that. But here's the deal. Watch out, because those slimy buns and everything else can grab you and take you captive. Okay, well, let's go on. Quickly, let's work through the rest of this, all right? I love the fact that Paul puts thinking on the table and then he runs everybody right to who Christ is. Verses 9 through 10. 
for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's break this out. In him. It's the key term, in him, with him, throughout this. It's twice used in verses 9 and 10. Seven times it's used throughout this sentence. In him. It's the central idea. Oh, by the way, it was last week too. In him. In him, it says the whole fullness of deity. This is just a very challenging expression. It's a very rare expression in Scripture. And, and, and there's discussion about what it means. And I think I'm just going to go right to the, the big picture of it all. In other words, out of the language, we can for sure get this idea that there's some kind of fullness. There's some kind of some totalness that's taking place. And, and this totalness is attached in the language to Christ, to him. And so we can clearly get that idea, some fullness, and uh, some fullness of the deity is in Christ. It's, it's totally, totally there. And it's in Christ, all deity, all divinity. I mean, all that is all is there. It's not partial, it's not 90%, it's all. Totalness, fullness is in Christ. You can't get more full in Christ. He's full of it, <laughs> fully. All the fullness is in Christ. And get this, look at what it says in verse 10. And you, redeemed one in Christ, you have been filled with him. You have been filled in him who is the head of the rule and authority. You got this? Jesus Christ is the fullness of all fullness. And if you know Christ, if you've come to Christ as your savior, you have him in you. That means you have the fullness of the fullness of all fullness fully in you. How cool is that? That would be like a great place to go, amen. Isn't it awesome? And yet how often are we thinking, oh man, I only got bits and pieces. No, no, no. You see, we, we, we don't need more of Christ. We have all of Christ. We need to be in Christ more in our thinking and in our doing of life. You have the fullness of the fullness of the fullness in him. But Doug, I need something more. No, you don't. We'll talk about that next week. No, you don't. If you are in Christ, you have all the fullness of fullness. In him means having the fullness of Christ. Secondly, in him means having the fullness of victory. Look at how this terminology works out. I'm going to read it, and you're probably going to get lost real quick because I did. But I'm going to read it, and then we'll come back. Five things here. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. And the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Quickly, five things here. You've got them in your, uh, in your sermon note page there. In him. In him means the fullness of victory. Number one, it's the victory of what the text is calling here in verse 11, the, 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 the circumcision of Christ. There's discussions about what that is and what that means. It, you know, is it this? Is it that? Is it that? Is it this? I'm just not going to go into it. It's, but we know this. It's talking clearly about a circumcision of the heart that's performed by the Holy Spirit because it says it's done without hands. And I think this is a metaphor here. And it's this idea that Jesus Christ victory work in this context of whatever it's referring to, whether it's, I think it's referring to the, the act of being stripped off of the cross in that reality of his death or in these other ideas, is it the stripping off of the old nature at the time we come to Christ? Whatever that may be, whatever the details of that, it's this, Christ has victory over the power of sin. 
And if he has victory over the power of sin, then guess what? If you are in him, there is victory over the power of sin. Know this, there may be victory over the power of sin, but we still live in the presence of sin. Okay? But you and I are not stuck anymore with sin upon sin. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Why? Because in him, this circumcision of Christ's work that was done brings victory to us over the power of sin. Secondly, there's a victory of, verse 12, of buried with him in baptism. Again, talk about what this is talking about. I don't think this is water baptism, that you're saved with that. It could either be this idea that that's an all-encompassing word for all that takes place when a person comes to Christ or, or, or other ideas in this out your salvation. But here's the point. Christ's victory work and his burial is our victory. And I think Paul here is walking through this picture that on the cross, when Christ in his death was stripped off, that's actually what the word means there, stripped off of the cross, victory came for us in him. And then added along with this, this idea that at this baptism, at his burial, we were buried in him, kind of like we are in Adam's sin. We are in Christ's victory off the cross. We are in Christ's victory over death and the burial. Third, the victory of being raised with him through faith, verse 12 says. In his resurrection, there is victory. There is victory in that we've been made alive with him. Number four, the victory made alive together with him, verses 13 and 14. Died, buried, raised, and made alive in him. Full, supreme victory over sin and death brought to life. And then fifth, verse 15. The victory of triumphing in him. This last verse is an amazing scene. He disarms the rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is a military scene. And what they used to do back in the day was when they would win a war over the enemy, they would take the spoils. They would take even the captives from that and they would parade them publicly through the city and it would be all a cheering event. Our enemy has been conquered. There's victory. And guess what? In Jesus Christ, all of the enemy of Satan and sin and death, while it is now in part, will be in full, publicly triumphed into total hell and separation. No more. Victory, you guys. Victory, you guys. This is what Paul goes to. He brings up this idea. Listen, be careful. Be on the watch out as you're walking. Don't get taken captive. Oh, by the way, isn't it interesting that he starts the sentence with that captive idea and then he ends the sentence with victory over the enemy and their potential captivity of us. Paul brings up this topic of watch it, you guys. We've got to watch it and be very careful. We've got to watch what we're thinking. We've got to watch the things that we're considering. We've got to watch from where they're sourced. We've got to watch from where they're origin. We've got to watch. Know this. Paul is not saying never have the discussion. Paul is not saying do not enter into the conversation. As I said earlier, I think Christians, we've abdicated our ability to have some of the conversations with people. And in great part because we do it like we're a bunch of mad people. I mean like we're mad about it. And I love the conversations. It draws out the heart. Let me finish with this because next Sunday is going to be a big part of this. Let me finish with a couple thoughts. This week, I give you the homework assignment of watching you. Teens, adults, husbands, wives, parents, grandparents, I'm inviting you this week to watch you and your thinking. How do you think? I want for you to watch when those times when you get frustrated. What's going on up here? What's driving you? 
What's the philosophical system running your, you right now? When you're happy and it's like delightful. What's the philosophical system going on within you? Why are you happy right now? When you consider the, the correction or the discipline or the, the reality with your children, what's driving you to parent the way you parent? Do you know? If you don't, it's because you haven't watched your thinking in it. I invite you to do that this week. Because here's some philosophical systems of our day. Life is meaningless in the end, so just go for the gusto. This is all there is that's called a nihilism. Life is about my pleasure. Life is about my comfort. That's hedonism. I do that one a lot. I live like a hedonist a lot. And by the way, so do you. Do you know that? Let's not get so spiritual. We think we're awesome. Because how much of life do you do according to your own comfort and your own want? Hedonism. My personal happiness. Self-esteem, that's the thing of the day. Personal fulfillment, all those are my goal. That's humanism. I'm the center. I do what's right to me. You do what's right to you. We tolerate everybody doing what's right for you. That's great because there is no absolute truth. That's called relativism. There's no standard of accountability whatsoever anyway. That's called liberation. God may have made us, but he's not involved in what's going on. He's asleep and someday he'll wake up and come back, be involved again. That's called deism. How many of these and how often do these run through your thinking? Are you willing to enter into the week considering? I invite you in. How many of the isms are replacing the in him part of the call? Parents, are you raising your children to do or to think. Just do it. Mom, I got a problem. <laughs> Let me give you the answer. What about drawing the heart? Jesus was the master at this. I call this post-it note thinking. It's helping people think what is they're going on in their head. It's drawing out their heart. And, and, and when someone comes and talks to you, don't just like go to the answer that you think of. Even if you think you can take it to Scripture, help them draw it out. Help them think it out. What's going on? Let me post up here. What's going on? So we're seeing this, and we're seeing this, and we're thinking this, just to allow people to be able to kind of see what they're thinking in their head. Because I don't think we think very well. We're caught in busyness. We're caught in noise. We don't have many times where we just sit outside with the fire and no light bulbs and no electricity and just look to the heavens and just talk about life. It's just do, 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 do. And parents, I'll say this. What's going to happen is your children, when they leave home, if you haven't taught them and helped them to think out, when they leave home, they are wide open prey. Help them to think, parents. Same in ministry. Help people think. Don't be quick to go to the answer. Draw it out of them. Help them think what's going on. be in him. I just want to finish this way. This is superior. Go here first. First. I'm I mean like first. Go here first. We'll pick this up next Sunday. God, thank you so much for...
this time. Thank you so much for the challenge that Paul puts on the table. God, thank you for the honesty of what Paul puts on the table for us here. Paul comes in here when, and he just helps us understand that uh, we live in a world where there's all kinds of thinking going on. And you've created us to be thinking people. And yet within that thinking of it all, we need to keep what is front and center, front and center. And that is your word. And that is in him, Christ. God, I just pray over this room and these people. And God, I would pray this week we would work to be very aware, to be very much learners of how we are thinking. God, could it in fact be that I am more of a hedonist than I am a Christ in me following that reality? Because God, when we think, we can see things and we can change. We can change our thinking. We can change our direction. God, I just pray there would be more of that. And lastly, Lord, in all of this, I just ask that we would see you supreme. As totally sufficient as the conquering king and the Lord of all, the one who is the source of all wisdom and understanding, the one who knows all things, the one who created all things, the one who conquers all things, that in you there is victory, Lord. Oh, I just pray we would be faster, that we would run to you more quickly, Lord. Think to you more quickly that we would champion you in our hearts and in our lives, that you would be the king in an increasing way in our life, even this week, Lord, because you deserve it, because there's victory in you. There's the fullness of all fullness in you, oh God. More of you, more of you in me, more of you in us. More, Lord, more. Help us. Help us to know you more. In the precious name of Christ we pray, amen.